The following message was recorded at Covenant Presbyterian Church in Oviedo, Florida. Covenant is a congregation of the Presbyterian Church in America, a community committed to seeing the gospel deeply rooted in our lives and in the lives of our neighbors in the Oviedo area. We welcome you to visit us on Sunday mornings in Oviedo or anytime online at cpcovedo.com. Our sermon text this morning is Psalm 142, verses 1 through 7. With my voice, I cry out to the Lord. With my voice, I plead for mercy to the Lord. I pour out my complaint before him. I tell my trouble before him. When my spirit faints within me, you know my way. In the path where I walk, they have hidden a trap for me. Look to the right and see there is none who takes notice of me. No refuge remains to me. No one cares for my soul. I cry to you, O Lord. I say, you are my refuge, my portion in the land of the living. Attend to my cry, for I am brought very low. Deliver me from my persecutors, for they are too strong for me. Bring me out of prison, that I may give thanks to your name. The righteous will surround me, for you will deal bountifully with me. This is the word of the Lord. Would you pray with me? Holy Spirit, um, I ask that you would strike a straight blow with a crooked stick. Soften our hearts to hear from you this morning. Impress upon us the beauty and glory of Jesus that we might follow him. We pray in his name. Amen. Hey, uh, Covenant, it is uh, great to be with you all this morning. Uh, Your senior pastor uh, is a a friend of mine. He's been a great uh, counselor to me, uh, just true friend to me uh, over the years. It's a pleasure to be with you all this morning. It's a pleasure to look at uh, one of my favorite psalms, Psalm 142, not because I like sad things, I don't, (laughs) but because it's an honest reflection from King David in the midst of a dark and lonely and fearful and sad time. Um, One of uh, my favorite singer-songwriters is a guy named Gregory Allen Isakov. And uh, a few years ago, he had a song that came out called Dark, Dark, Dark. And there's a line in that song where he says, um, he says, the songs in my pocket crumble apart. Won't you sing me something for the dark, dark, dark? The songs in my pocket just crumble apart. Won't you sing me something for the dark, dark, dark? I love that line because what he's saying is there's times in life, and it's not a matter of if you'll be in a dark season of life. It's a matter of when. And in those seasons, it's like The songs in our pockets, they just crumble apart. We need something else. We need a song for that season. Uh, We need true words for that season. And Psalm 142 is a song for that season. It's a song for the dark, for the dark seasons of life, for the challenging seasons uh, of life. We got a great backstory uh, on uh, this, this song. Um, that Elizabeth gave to us. Uh, you know, David, he's on the run from King Saul, ends up in the town of Gath, 
uh, which happened to be the, you know, the, the hometown of Goliath, uh, who David had defeated. And so, of course, he gets recognized there. Aren't you the one who defeated our town mascot? And so then he starts to kind of pretend that he's gone crazy. It's a little bit like if you remember that movie Tommy Boy with Chris Farley, uh, when he gets pulled over by the police and he jumps out of the car screaming, bees, bees, you know, and then they leave him alone. David kind of does his version of that and he sneaks off and he ends up in this cave, the cave of Adullam. And it's in that cave that he writes this song. Uh, and as we saw, 1 Samuel gives us the narrative of this, but you know what we have in Psalm 142? It's kind of like we have David's journal while he's there. Listen to some of the things that, that he says. Let me just read a couple of these again. Verse 3, my spirit grows faint within me. Have you ever been there? Verse 4, no one is concerned for me. I have no refuge. No one cares for my life. You ever felt that way? Verse 6, for I am in desperate need. Verse 7, set me free from this prison. A note in uh, one of my study Bibles says, Psalm 142 is the complaint of someone at the end of his resources. Have you ever been there? Are you there? If so, you need a song for the dark. And Psalm 142 is a song for the dark. So let's talk about this psalm. Uh, I want to give you four steps that this psalm gives us, four steps for dealing with the caves in our lives. Okay, now not, not four steps to remove the caves. We can't always do that, can we? But four steps to do things to do while we're in the caves, while we're clinging and holding on till morning. Because there will be a morning. The caves don't last forever. Four steps. Here's the first one. Don't be surprised. First, don't be surprised. Who, who wrote this psalm? King David. David, the, the one uh, chosen by God. David, the one who had defeated the giant. David, the one who was anointed to be king. He's the one in the cave experiencing this. What does that tell us? It tells us that anyone can end up spending time in the cave. No one is exempt from the cave experience. God has promised no one a cave-free life. Cave things happen to good people. In fact, the biblical pattern is such that the closer one is to God and His story and what He's doing, the more likely that they're going to end up spending some time in the cave. Abraham, Jacob, Joseph, are you kidding? Moses, Joshua, Ruth, Samuel, and a few characters in the New Testament. One most notably, very, very close to God he was. The fact of the matter is, caves are a part of this life. The Apostle Peter writes, Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you as though something strange were happening to you. Cave things happen. It doesn't mean that God is punishing you. The cave is not necessarily correlated to an action or non-action on your part at all. Caves are a part of this life. 
And so the first step, the first thing that we need to remember when we end up in a cave experience, a cave season is, shouldn't be surprised by this. Don't be surprised when you find yourself in the cave. Cave things happen to good people. Number two, step two, don't hold back. So don't be surprised, but also don't hold back. Don't hold back. If you haven't spent much time in the Psalms, you really should spend some time in the Psalms. These raw emotions brought up to God in prayer. I mean, that, that, that'd be one summary of what we have in the book of the Psalms. In many ways, it's, it is a book of raw emotions from the cave. Nearly two-thirds of the Psalms are what we call Psalms of lament, Psalms that encourage us to be honest with God about how we're feeling, about our doubts, about the things that are going on in our lives. I mean, if you think about it, the psalmists are often more honest with God than we are, aren't they? You ever find yourself apologizing for some of the things written in the Bible? You know, God, he didn't mean that. You know, He was in a rough time when he said this. Will you forgive him? The psalmist is often more honest uh, with God than we are. I mean, have you ever read Psalm 88? You ever read Psalm 39? They say some things to God that, frankly, we don't think is okay to say to God. The last line in Psalm 88, the darkness is my closest friend. The end, the last line in Psalm 39, look away from me, and he's talking to God, look away from me that I may smile again before I depart and am no more. What are those Psalms doing in the Bible? God, I'm sorry for that psalmist and what he said to you. No, no, no. I'll tell you what they're doing there. They're inviting you and me to be as honest with God about what we go through and our experiences, especially when we end up in the caves. I've had several conversations as a counselor, several conversations with Christians who will, they're in cave circumstances. They're in really challenging uh, seasons in life and uh, they're experiencing all sorts of emotions and all sorts of doubts. And I'll ask them, have you prayed these emotions and have you prayed these doubts to God? What do you mean, Joe? I mean, have you told God that you're angry with Him? Well, I couldn't do that. What do you mean you can't do that? You're already doing that. You're just doing it kind of behind His back. Why not take it to His face? You know, there's a distinction in the Bible, and I think it was Trimper Longman who I first heard uh, kind of point out this distinction, but there's a distinction in the Bible between grumbling and groaning. Grumbling is complaining behind God's back. It dishonors him. Groaning is taking it all to his face, bringing it to him. And it honors him. It's what he invites us to do. It's it pays him the ultimate compliment of treating him as if he is actually there and that he cares. So, pour out your complaint before him like David did in Psalm 142, verse 2. I pour out my complaint before him. Pour out your complaint before him. Don't hold back. Take your emotions, all of them, your concerns, your troubled thoughts, take it all to him and don't hold back. Because you know what? He gets it. 
many things that separate our true religion from all of the others on this planet. But this is one of the most significant separations and differences. When we take our full range of emotions to our God, we're taking it to a God who in Christ has experienced and knows the full range of human emotions. We can't say to Jesus, you don't understand, because he does. So why would we not take everything to him? All that we are feeling and experiencing. Why hold back with him? He's the only one who knows exactly how it feels to be in the cave. Don't be surprised when you're in the cave. Don't hold back when you're in the cave. Third, don't waste it. Don't waste it. The question isn't, will you spend time in the cave? You will. The question is, will you allow the cave to spend some time on you? Will you let the cave do a work on your heart? Because you can let it harden you, you can let it turn you apathetic, you can let it push you away uh, from the presence and connection with God. Or like David, you can let the cave drive you into an even deeper connection with God. You can choose to see caves as kind of God's classroom for your soul, for your maturity. You say, okay, well, if it's God's classroom, what is God trying to teach me? What's he trying to teach me in the cave? Well, I don't know exactly, and you may not know until you're out of the cave, and then even sometimes we still don't know fully what God was up to by having us in the cave, but there are always two things that he is trying to teach us in the caves. There's always two things he's trying to teach us in the caves, and both of them are in this psalm, and here's the first thing, we have to look to him. That's the first thing he's always trying to teach us. We have to look to him. From the cave, David says, I have no refuge. No one cares for my life. I cry to you, O Lord. I say, you are my refuge. Now, what is a refuge? A refuge is a place of protection. It's a place of safety. And in the Psalms, the word refuge is often accompanied by, used in conjunction with another word, rock, right? See what David's saying? God, you're the rock that encloses me and protects me. In other words, God, in my cave of despair, be my cave of protection. When I'm enclosed in the cave of troubles in this world, God, be the cave that encloses my heart. See, it took the cave of despair to teach David that there's only one cave of refuge. So what is it that you're looking for in your life to be your refuge? What do you believe to be your refuge? Functionally, I mean, I don't mean like what you would confess in front of a big group of people and say, this is what I believe. Functionally, what do you believe to be your refuge in your life? Is it a dollar amount in an account? Is it the health of your family? Is it uh, advancement in a career? Is it physical health? Functionally, what's your rock of refuge in closing your heart? Because as hard as it is to say this, blessed is the day 
when those things get stripped away from us, that we might see that there is only one true refuge that we have. So that's the gift of the caves. They can strip away what it is we've been trusting in to show us the one, the only one, to whom deserves our trust. I heard a a pastor years ago tell this story about a lumberjack walking through the forest. He's about to fell, uh, you know, a bunch of of trees, and uh, he looks up on this tall pine, and up uh, making her her nest in the tree is this mother bird, and the lumberjack doesn't want to harm the bird, so before he cuts the tree down, he takes the, the backside of his axe and just beats it against the side of the tree to kind of alert the bird, thwack, thwack, and so the bird flies away from that tree and then lands in another tree. And so here comes the lumberjack again, thwack, thwack, and the bird flies out of that tree and lands in another one, thwack, thwack, until finally the bird flies away and and, and leaves the forest and lands up on a rocky ledge to build her nest. Now, imagine being that bird. Who is this maniac who is messing with my life right now? And that's, how, that's often how we feel and can sometimes even t- uh, the message that we can take to God. God, I go to church. God, I write checks. God, I'm in a small group. God, I'm seeking to follow you. Stop messing with my life. To which I think God would say, that tree you're building your life in and the tree next to it and the tree next to it All those trees are eventually coming down. You need to be upon the rock. There's only one rock. And see, it's these challenges in life, these cave seasons in life that can actually thwack, thwack. They can teach us that. That we only have one true foundation to build our life upon. This is what God is doing with us. So, What's he teaching us in the cave? The first thing is look to him. Look to him as your ultimate refuge, not to anything else. Second thing I think he's always teaching us in every cave is look to others. We have to look to others. So David prays for rescue, right? He prays for rescue. And then look at how David envisions God answering his prayer. Verse 7, then the righteous will gather about me. I'm going to have a righteous amazing community gathered around me. That's what David's praying for. This amazing community. And that's exactly what God sends him. 1 Samuel 22 tells us how God answered that prayer. And it also tells us that God has a bit of a sense of humor. 1 Samuel 22 verse 2, and everyone who was in distress and everyone who was in debt and everyone who was bitter in soul gathered to him and he became commander over them and they were with him about 400 men. What an answer. Can you imagine? God, send me some righteous supporters and God says, here's 400 total wrecks lead them, do life with them, and lead them, right? And I think one of the lessons here is we want a solution. And God's saying, you need to learn how to lean on other people and let them lean on you. I mean, David must have been thinking, 
what is the use of this massive group of disheveled, broken, completely wreck of human beings, group of people gathered around some rival king. Oh, that's the church. That's the church, isn't it? That's what you're a part of. You're a part of a huge group across the globe of broken, disheveled, burnt out, stressed out, afraid, doubting people gathered around a rival king. David wanted people with answers. God gave him people with problems. And the same is true for you in your cave. You want solutions. God's pointing you to community. He's pointing you to other broken cave dwellers. Saying you need to learn how to lean on them. Because we don't get out of the cave alone. We don't get out of the cave alone. Maybe you need to call somebody, you know, if you're in one right now. Maybe you need to call somebody. You need to tell them, hey, listen, I heard this sermon for, for this morning. I don't even remember the guy's name. But he, he said I was supposed to call somebody. And uh, I, I, need, I need somebody with me in the cave. Will you be with me in this? Will you be part of God's grace expression to me. So, you get in the cave, don't be surprised, first of all. Don't hold back with your crying out to God. Don't waste it, okay? And fourth, most importantly, don't forget who you're dealing with. Don't forget who you're dealing with. Look at how David ends his prayer, verse 7. Set me free from my prison that I may praise your name. Then the righteous will gather about me because of your goodness to me. Okay, so as David writes this, he's still in anguish. You understand? We understand where the story goes. David doesn't know that yet. He doesn't know how God's goodness and faithfulness is going to do something about his circumstances. But you know what David does? He does the opposite of what you and I tend to do we tend to let our circumstances define our reality and where we're at and how we feel. And David is saying, no, no, no. In the midst of these circumstances, even when I don't know where things are headed, in the midst of these circumstances, I'm going to let the character of God be the defining reality for me. He says, it's your goodness. Your goodness that I'm going to cling to. And we say, well, how did David know? How did David know that God's goodness was actually going to win out in the end? How could he trust in that? He could trust in that by looking back on God's goodness in the past. You see what he says here? I don't know if you caught this. Set me free from my prison that I may praise your name. Does that ring a bell for anybody? David is thinking of the singular most significant event in the history of Israel. When they were set free from the prison of Egypt to what? To worship God. To praise his name. David's calling to mind, God, this is what your character does. This is who you are. If you asked any Israelite in that time, proof that God is good, go. They would say, rescued us from our prison so that we could be in his presence and praise his name. That's proof that he's good and that he loves us. And David was saying, I'm not going to forget that. And may you in your caves and I in my caves, may we not forget that. Because what could you say if somebody came to you and said, 
proof that your God is good, go. Then you and I could say, well, God himself, the author of the story, entered into the story in Jesus Christ and he experienced every ounce of suffering that I could ever know to rescue me from my prison of sin and death. Oh, and you know where they put his lifeless body? In a cave. And he went all the way in. And then on the third day, he came all the way out. Proving many things, but one of those is that your cave will not last forever. Every stone will be rolled away. In my kitchen, I don't know if you have these, but in my kitchen, I have one of these reader boards, you know, where you can kind of put up a message, you know, that, that you want to on it with the little letters, the little letter board things. And mine says, the moon is always round. And that phrase comes from a, a, a children's book written by a guy named Jonathan Gibson by that name. The moon is always round. Um, Gibson uh, would, when his son Benjamin was really young, he would do this little catechism with his son every night before bed. He'd lay down, you know, tuck him in in bed, and then he'd say, Benjamin, um, what shape is the moon tonight? And Benjamin would look out his window and he'd say, well, it's a crescent moon or it's a half moon. And then Jonathan would say, what shape is the moon always? And Benjamin would say, well, the moon is always round. Jonathan would say, what does that mean for us? And Benjamin would say, well, God is always good. God is always good. And they would do this catechism every night. And Jonathan didn't know at the time how important this catechism would become because several months later, Jonathan's wife, she ended up giving birth to a stillborn child. You can imagine the tragedy. You can imagine that some of you know the tragedy. Some of you know the cave experience of this. They were very much in the cave. And that night, driving home from the hospital, Jonathan is in the car with his son Benjamin, and Benjamin said, Daddy, is Mommy ever going to grow a baby who will live and come home to be with us. Jonathan said, I don't know. I hope so. Benjamin said, but why couldn't Layla come home to be with us? Jonathan said, she she went to go be with Jesus. Benjamin said, but why? Jonathan said, I don't know. And then it popped into his head through tears. He said, Benjamin, look out the window. What shape is the moon tonight? Benjamin said, it's a half moon. Benjamin, what shape is the moon always? Benjamin said, the moon is always round. And what does that mean for us? It means that God is always good. God is always good. Even when we can't see beyond the cave, we're still in the hands of a God who is always good, who is up to something good. And we know this because of the time that he put his love and goodness on full unobstructed display on the cross. 
you're in the cave right now, don't give up. Don't give up. Hold on till morning because the one that you are holding on to is the one who is holding on to you. The love and goodness of God. Your refuge, your rock, your true cave. Let me pray for us. Father, we give thanks to you for your mission. Your mission of coming to get your family back. The mission of Jesus to come into this world empowered by the Holy Spirit. To live the life humanity was designed to live in its perfection. To earn up righteousness that then he would bestow upon us to sacrificially die for our lack thereof. The great exchange, as Luther called it. That we could be adopted as sons and daughters back into your family. And so that we could know that we're never alone in a cave. You were with us and you were at work. Lord, may we remember that you are not always at work producing the good circumstances that we want, but you are always at work in bad circumstances to produce the us that you want. May we let you shape us. May we let you draw us closer and closer to yourself. For you are our ultimate refuge. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.